You are listening to Where is the Line? The stories you will hear will be depraved, disturbing, and true. If you are easily unsettled, you may find this program offensive. And if you are under the age of 18, fuck off. The sun came and went Wednesday and the Utah County Search and Rescue Team still surrounded the mouth of Nutty Putty Cave. Inside, 26-year-old John Jones had been stuck since 9 o'clock Tuesday night. It's now been about 22 hours since John Jones became stuck in that hole inside the cave. Everybody drinking blood, everybody eating brains, some monster party. Everybody eating flesh, everybody breaking bones, some monster party. Thank you for listening to episode 24 of Where is the Line? My name is Kevin, and with me today is my very uncomfortable friend with a new haircut, Samantha. Say something disturbing, Samantha. We're going to get you out. We're going to get you out. When you hear the phrase, we're going to get you out, honk your horn. For the second time, because I was not recording the first time, (laughs) Samantha's uncomfortable because right now, as part of our Patreon program, we hang out with our patrons once a month. We do like a live stream, and uh, we decided for the first time to let our patrons watch us as we record an episode. Yes. I thought it was a bad idea. And it turns out it was a fantastic idea because it's going so well. I know. It's almost... Not like every step of the way you have sabotaged tonight. Yeah, it's not like we started 40 (laughs) minutes late because we fucked up the YouTube link. (laughs) It's okay. But speaking of our patrons, we got a couple of new ones. One of them's here right now. Ooh. And I'm probably going to say the name wrong. Hachim Hmm. There's no fucking way that's right. Of course, if you butchered it, uh, we'll find out. We'll fix it. We'll make it right. Yeah. But you'll get two shout outs, Hashim, if I said your name wrong. (laughs) We're so glad to have you. And we're sorry if we murdered your name. Ooh. Yeah. That's terrible. Thank you. At our (laughs) depraved level. Yeah. Hashim. At our disturbed level, we have Kate Pantle. Welcome, Kate. Dustin Brandt from Wisconsin sent us 20 or $25 uh, just for a couple of shitty stickers with our autographs on them. Thank you so much for that, Dustin. I was supposed to mention that on the last episode, completely spaced about it. Uh, but Dustin, thank you so much for overpaying for those stickers. And if there's anything else that you need from us to uh, make up that additional $18 that you threw out for uh, $2 worth of sticky paper... Let us know. Also, if I sound a little bit different right now, it's because for the second episode in a row, I forgot to mention Dustin and sending us the money. So I'm sorry, Dustin. Uh, (laughs) I did catch it, though. When I started to record this episode, I realized that I had not done that. And so now I'm in a different location on a different microphone recording this little thing just for you. So again, thank you, Dustin. And sorry you didn't hear from us on the last episode. How do you feel about tight spaces? Do you know what? I'm glad you asked me because I would not say that I am someone that's claustrophobic or has... um, Actually, when I sleep at night, I like to swaddle myself, which, you know, swaddling like a baby is when you wrap them up in such a way that keeps them all tight and safe. Mm -hmm. I do that to myself every night. 
I'm almost like a bat with bat wings. I take my comforter and just like wrap it around me all the way up to my chin because I want my nose and mouth covered because I don't want bugs crawling <laughs> into my nose or mouth at night. And I sleep like that. You cover your nose up because you're afraid of bugs going to crawl in your nose? Yeah. And I sleep like a little tight burrito. Yeah. Hey, I've had some scorpions in my house recently, so I'm kind of freaked out lately, especially. <laughs> I do not want a scorpion. Did I say scorpions or Scorpio the first time? <laughs> Are you stoned? No. No. Anyways. You always say that, and I'm pretty sure that you're stoned every time you come over here. I wish you wouldn't say that. <laughs> Why? It casts me in a bad light. No, it doesn't. There's nothing wrong with marijuana. No, but there's not. There is if you live in Alabama. Well, there's something legally wrong with it. Not morally, though. But I've definitely, I've never smoked marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, tight spaces. I would say I do not have a problem. But learning about the story, I definitely had moments of panic where my chest got so freaking tight from just imagining what that person went through. Yeah, this tonight's story is a weird one because it's not especially bloody. No. It's not gory. No. But it's, it is a mental mind fuck. It, yeah, it sticks with you. And I, I remember hearing about this so long ago, so long before we were doing a show or anything. And I don't, and I don't know. I've never been claustrophobic. Like I'm not, I'm not afraid to crawl up under the crawl space of the house to fix something. But I don't know. This story just, it just sticks with you. Yeah. It's just a horrible, horrible fucking situation that this person found themselves in. Yeah, and, well, I don't want to give away the ending. I was going to say something about rescue efforts. Well, I always give away the ending. Well. In the opening monologue, anyway. Okay, can I just say, one of my paranoid fears is that I will get into a situation, and I will require being rescued, and they just won't be able to help me. (laughs) You know the way, I think, I, I saw this video so long ago, and it's been like this irrational fear of mine since then. There was a flood, and I don't know where this was, and I haven't seen this video in years, but there was a flood. And to get away from it, this guy climbed up a tree, and the water knocked all of his clothes off somehow. Oh, my gosh. But then the water recedes, and, like, everybody in fucking town's out with their goddamn cameras filming this rescue attempt of this completely naked dude who has climbed up a tree and he's just at the top. And at this point, the water's receded, so it doesn't look like shit's going on. Just like looks like they're trying to get a naked dude out of a tree. Yeah. I'm afraid that that's going to happen to me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, are you ready to get into this uncomfortable episode of Where is the Line? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. People involve themselves in cave diving, or spelunking, as it's often called in the U.S., for an assortment of reasons. Some who explore these cramped, naturally formed tunnels in the earth do so as ecotourists. Others do it for adventure, and some people are just natural explorers who are hoping to be the first to discover and map out these subterranean passages, and to become the first human in history to visit an uncharted cavity in the earth. Between 1985 and 2015, 161 people lost their lives exploring caves in the United States. The most common cause of death among this group of 161 unlucky people was either falling from a substantial height while they were exploring these caves or from drowning. And typically these deaths are pretty quick. The demise of today's subject, though, wasn't one that played out with such merciful expedience. 
In November 2009, a 26-year-old spelunker named John Jones was exploring the Nutty Putty Cave system in Utah when he got stuck. For 28 hours, rescuers attempted to free a still-conscious John Jones, but they were unsuccessful in doing so. Jones was wedged so tightly in this crevice in which he found himself that even after his death, rescuers were still not able to retrieve his remains. In fact, John Jones is still down there in Nutty Putty today. His body is still wedged in the 10 by 18 inch passage where he found himself stuck over a decade ago. So how did John Jones get stuck in Nutty Putty? Why could he not be rescued? And what did this terribly unfortunate man experience during those last 28 hours of his life? And that's what we're talking about today. The terrifying and miserable demise of cave diver John Jones. Chilling. Can I go off on a little side tangent here real quick? Mm-hmm. Before we get into the, the darkness. Nutty putty. I keep thinking, putty? Nutty putty? It makes me think of pud. And that is what, when I was growing up, my mom would call a penis. That's the word she taught me was pud, like P-U-D. Hmm. And nutty putty just makes me, it brought back those memories. And I wanted to ask you, did your mom teach you a word for your penis when you were little? Or did you just call it penis? No, we did not acknowledge sexuality or genitalia at all in my family. Okay, so like when you were little and you were in the bathtub, she didn't say like, wash your whatever, wash your dingle. (laughs) I don't remember that. Okay, well, listen to this. My mom, not only did she call a penis a pud, and that's what she told me like it was called for a long time when I was little, but my own body parts, Mm -hmm. my vagina, she would call our vaginas or vaginas in general a moose or moosey. Moose? A moose. I know, it's the weirdest thing. I've never heard. (laughs) It is so weird. Oh, and she would call my armpits my quack quacks. So when I would be in the bathtub, you know, washing myself. Just like a duck thing? I guess. I don't get it, but she came up with it. But she would be like, wash your moosey and your quack quacks. And (laughs) Nutty Putty brought it all back with the association with Pud and I don't know. I've told a few people about my moosey before. Well, (laughs) surprisingly enough, uh, Nutty Putty is not named after penises. No, it's not. It's actually named because uh, it's very humid down in this cave system. And so there's a, a form of clay that actually only exists one place in the world. And that place is Nutty Putty. Yes. And so the clay, somebody believed it was kind of nut colored. And it also has a putty-like texture. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the person who was the first person to explore Nutty Putty named it Nutty Putty because it's a nut-looking putty-like clay that coats a lot of the interior of That's that cave. That's right. Um, that was Del Green. Del Green in 1960 discovered Nutty Putty Cave, and he named it for the reasons that you just explained. And the, the entrance to Nutty Putty uh, is... Pretty nondescript, Mm -hmm. which is why nobody found it until 1960, because nobody explored that cave until 1960. And the reason is that if you're in Utah, in the area of Nutty Putty, it just looks like a hole in the ground. Yeah. It looks like somebody just kind of went out there with a backhoe, dug a little hole, threw some rocks in it. It doesn't 
<laughs> on the surface of the earth, this does not look like this incredibly elaborate system of caves. Right. You just go down in a hole and you find yourself in that elaborate system of caves. So Nutty Putty, even before John Jones, had a reputation before John Jones, there were five other pretty high-profile rescue attempts. And one of these included a teenager who was stuck in the same spot that John Jones ended up stuck in. But he was about six foot closer to the exit of this particular hole, and he was also smaller mm-hmm. than John Jones. John Jones was six foot tall and 200 pounds, which is going to be very important. Yes, That is very tall for a cave spelunker. John Jones, pretty regular guy, pretty popular guy. He was popular in high school. He was on his basketball team. He was athletic. He was the senior class president in his graduating class. He seemed to have himself together. He did his undergraduate work at BYU, which is where he met his future wife, Mm -hmm. Emily. They keep seeing each other. They eventually get married. They had a daughter named Elizabeth in 2006. And uh, after Jones did his undergraduate work at BYU, he moved to the University of Virginia to study to be a pediatric cardiologist. Right. The situations that John Jones finds himself in that we're going to be talking about are horrible. And it is made even worse by the fact that this man was studying... To be a surgeon. Yes, absolutely. So while he is stuck in this cave, he knows exactly Exactly. what is happening to his body while he's down there. Yeah. And that's a pretty harsh reality to understand when you're in a situation like that. That that would be awful. And so let's talk about how John Jones found himself 125 feet under the earth's surface stuck. So John Jones was visiting his family for Thanksgiving And he had a brother that he was really close with. And the brother ended up talking John and some friends into going on a trip to explore Nutty Putty. Uh, Now, this was an active family. They had gone on caving excursions before. It wasn't like this just came out of the blue. This was a family of outdoor explorers. Um, They'd been caving several times, but John hadn't been caving in a while. Yeah, it had been several years. And in fact, the headlamp that John Jones used when he went down into Nutty Putty was something that uh, he had had since he was a kid. His dad had given him this this old headlamp with kind of a rainbow strap around it. So that's how long he had been cave diving. He'd been doing this since he was a kid. Mm -hmm. So John Jones' brother... Um, This group gets to be about 10 people in total, and uh, they go out to Nutty Putty, and they enter the cave at about 8 p.m., which seems late, but as soon as you get under the surface, you're in complete darkness anyway. Exactly. So it doesn't really matter what time you're going out there. When you enter Nutty Putty Cave, you know, like I said, there's this nondescript hole in the ground. You walk into it. And pretty shortly after you you begin that descent, you come across a portion of the cave that's called the Big Slide. Relatively speaking, this is a kind of an open part of the cave. And people who go explore, like this is a part of the cave that you and I could deal with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think that there might be a rope that hangs down this descent that they call the Big Slide. So people kind of sit down, they hold on to this rope, and just sort of uh, scoot down further into the cave system. Uh, But now, once you get to the end of the big slide, uh, that's when you have to decide if you really want to be a caver. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> because at the end of the big slide, there's a lot more narrow and intimidating passages that kind of fork off from the end of that. So they went down there with this group of 10 people. A lot of them kind of get down to the bottom of the big slide. They're like, oh, that's about as far as I want to go. That's, right. I'm not an experienced cave diver. I'm just going to stop right here. But John Jones and his brother, Josh, they decide, because they've been doing this for a while, they decide they're going to go explore some of these more narrow passages. They go down into, you know, the the next level of caver experiences in right. Nutty Putty. And this is an area known as the Birth Canal. Yes. You said that like you were going to say something. No, I, <laughs> no, I just was wondering what my birth canal looks like. I'm kidding. What? <laughs> you were wondering what your birthday. You were all in on vagina talk today. I think a man might get stuck in my birth canal. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Go on. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> no, go, no, you go on. No, I just I, I think that's a great name for a tight squeeze. <laughs> sorry. A lot of the group hangs back. Uh, John, his brother Josh, a few other people, they slide on down into the birth canal. And, uh, <laughs> Sorry. I'm, so, I, I'm so immature. Yeah, I, I could totally feel you wanting to say that's what she said. <laughs> um, so they, they kind of go their different ways. John finds this small hole that's connected that kind of goes out of the birth canal, and he decides that he's going to explore that passageway. Now, because this passageway is so narrow... John goes in head first. Yes. Because he can't, you know, if he were to go in feet first, he wouldn't be able to see around his feet to see where he's going. Mm -hmm. So the only option if you want to actually see what you're doing is go head first, and that's what he does. He goes down for some way, and he starts to understand that he's going down too far, and he might need to turn around. But this passageway is not wide enough for him to actually maneuver himself around, so he keeps going deeper and deeper thinking he's eventually going to come across somewhere that is big enough that he can kind of scoot himself around and yes. come back out. Yes. But he never finds such an area. So John's crawling head first down this little tunnel in this cave system, and he's already traveling at a, a, a pretty steep downward angle. And he's, you know, like I said, he's looking for this place to turn around, and he comes across another offshoot of this tunnel that he's already in. And this one goes almost straight down. Uh, I believe it's about an 80 degree downward angle. So he, he had been on a decline going down and then he finds another tunnel. And so now he has to decide if he is going to try to very slowly scoot himself backwards or if he is going to go down this additional tunnel and continue looking for a place where he can actually turn around. Yeah. And so um, already at the steep decline, he comes across another hole, which is going to have him going almost straight down, and he takes it. That's a risky gamble. And this new passage that he, that he takes is really small. It's 10 inches by 18 inches. Crazy. I mean, it's tiny. 10 inches, ten inches by 18 inches. Yeah. I can imagine what 10 inches is like. I was going to go somewhere dirty with that and I changed my mind. <laughs> You've never seen 10 inches in your life. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm joking. I took a shower today. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so John's going down this narrow this narrow passageway, and it's it's getting narrower and narrower still as he's moving down through there. I'm starting to freak out now. My but chest. when he so he's he's really cramped up. His yeah. arms are just pushed right up next to him. He's wriggling down this little hole, and he sees some some kind of darkness down at the bottom, and he feels like that might be an opening. But the passage is continuing to narrow, and he wants to get down to what he believes to be this opening, and he thinks that he he doesn't have that far to go to get there. He sucks his chest in, yeah. blows the air out so that he can compress himself as much as possible and maybe slide down this last little bit of this tunnel, and he gets stuck. As soon as he tries to take his next breath, he is stuck. Yes. What John Jones doesn't know at this point, because John Jones has never been into Nutty Putty before. Mm -hmm. He's done a lot of caving, but not at Nutty Putty. And what he does not know is that he is 125 feet underground. The passage that he's in is in an uncharted area of Nutty Putty. And it's the same passage where a kid that was five foot seven and 140 pounds got stuck for about 10 hours. Uh, several months before this. Right. They were able to get him out, but this kid was 5'7", 140 pounds. John Jones is six foot tall, 200, and he's in the same spot that it took 10 hours to get a 145-pound kid out of that spot. That's not good. So this this spot where John stuck, like I've said several times, so much so that I'm probably going to edit several of them out, is only 10 inches by 18 inches and for our non-Americans, Natasha and Sarah <laughs> and anyone else who doesn't live in the United States, that is around 25 centimeters by 45 centimeters. So John now knows that he cannot move at all. He's completely immobilized. He's got an arm trapped under his chest. He can't wriggle even a fraction of an inch in either direction. No. He's got to have help at this point. Um, and so finally, John starts yelling for help, and his brother Josh finds him, and he comes down there to where John is, and uh, he he tries to kind of wriggle John out, but that's just not working. And pretty quickly, Josh Jones realizes that his brother John is in some very, very serious trouble, and Josh tells John that he's going to have to go back up to the surface and call a rescue team because they are not equipped yes. to get John out of this position that he's in. So Josh goes up. He calls 911. There's a rescue team on the way. Josh goes back down um, because they don't want to leave his brother there alone. And um, so they talk for a while where they're waiting on this rescue team to get there. And this is a, a fairly religious family. They go to church mm -hmm. quite frequently. They're Mormon. They're Mormons. While they're waiting on the rescue team, Josh and his brother, who is stuck in this cave start singing a church hymn called How Firm a Foundation. So John Jones is just now starting this ordeal with being stuck in this inverted position. And so here's what happens to your body if you're stuck upside down for too long. 
for one thing, your lungs are made to sit on top of your other organs. Like we've evolved to deal with Earth's gravity. Our lungs sit on top. Our rib cage is formed the way that it is so that things can kind of spread out towards the bottom. That's mm-hmm. why your rib cage narrows up at the top. And we're built to circulate our blood while we're standing in this kind of upright stance uh, so that your blood doesn't pool in your feet. But your brain's completely different. Um, There's no mechanism in place to pump the blood out of your brain like there is for your legs and your feet. The vessels in your lower extremities actually constrict to help the blood come out of them. Yeah. Because you're not normally hanging upside down, there's no reason to have mechanisms like that in your the upper part of your body, all the parts that are above your heart. So when you're hanging upside down, blood starts pooling in places <laughs> yeah, in places yeah. like your head. Uh, and there, there's no way to get that blood out of there. And as a result, capillaries will start to burst and leak. Yes. Um, so you'll have blood kind of pressing its way through veins and filling up various cavities in your body. In terms of your heart, your heart slows down, it's pumping, and it starts receiving more blood than it actually has the capacity to manage. Yes. Your heart will begin to have a difficult time maintaining your blood pressure. Yeah. And eventually your body will lose its ability to pass blood through your body and maintain these essential functions. Absolutely. So as a result, the, the the heart might not be able to get enough blood to your kidneys, and kidney failure is something that can happen from being inverted for too long. Also, because all of this blood is rushing to your head, brain hemorrhaging is also a concern. And because he is studying to be a surgeon, these are things that John Jones knows. Yes, he is fully aware of what is happening inside of his body. So... John Jones is down there considering what's happening to his body as he is hanging almost completely inverted. His brother's trying to keep him calm, and uh, his brother's already called 911, and the rescuers arrive. And one of the first people to go down and see John of this rescue team was a woman named Susie Matola. That's right. Uh, Susie is really small. She's only five foot three. They tied a rope around her ankles just in case she got stuck so they could maybe pull her back out. And she starts inching her way down to where John Jones is. So it takes her about 20 minutes mm-hmm. to get just that 125 feet down to where John is. And uh, she finally gets there. And all she can see of John is uh, his shoes and part of his calves. He's got a blue and white shoes that are sticking up out of this hole. And by this time, it's already about 12.30 a.m., half an hour past midnight. And by the time Susie gets down to him, John had been there for about three hours. Uh, When she described what she found, she said that John had one arm bent under him. The other arm was forced backwards. So he really didn't have any use of his arms in this position that he was in. And there wasn't enough space around John to kind of drop a water bottle down to him. And so Susie, knowing that John's probably thirsty, pours some water down that arm that John has pinned next to him. And her hope is that that water will trickle down his arm and maybe he can get a little bit of that in his mouth. Yes. So they tried a lot of 
very basic things to get John out of there at first. Uh, they tied a rope around John's feet, and that rope was stretched back out to a wider part of the cave where they had more rescuers, and uh, people were trying to pull John out by his feet using this rope. But this rope was laid across these winding cave features, and there was too much friction on the rope, so it's just constantly being caught against rocks and things. And so no matter how hard these people pulled, they weren't able to to nudge John really at all. So when that didn't work, Susie cut John's pants off. He's wedged so tightly in there, and they're looking for any way to relieve a little bit of the space. Yes. So she cuts his pants off. That doesn't work. But Susie stays with John for a few hours. This is a very uncomfortable spot. It's very humid, very cramped. So she stays down there for a few hours, and she comes out and gets relieved by another rescuer. And so they they send someone else down there to kind of keep John company. And they start working on a new way to get him out because just tying a rope to his feet and pulling is not going to work. Yes. Because of the friction that the rope's getting against these rocks. So they come up with a a system of pulleys. Mm -hmm. So they're going to install all these pulleys in through this cave system uh, to keep that rope off the rock. They'll be able to get better leverage and maybe maybe drag John out that way. But the problem is that those those pulleys, you have to actually anchor them into the cave walls. Yes. And this area that John's in and a lot of the area that he passed through to get to where he is is so narrow that it's it's taking them sometimes an hour just to get one pulley installed on the wall because they have to do this with a hammer. They, yeah. It's too narrow. They can't get any real Machinery down there. Machinery for down there. Yeah. Um. So they're actually just having to bang on these spikes with hammers and try to anchor them into the wall. And in a lot of these places, they only have six inches to work with. Yes. So you're you're talking about Karate Kid hitting the exactly. the nail into the fencing. Yeah. Yeah. You can't you can't you can't have like a full power strike. Yeah. You're basically just tapping these things in while they're putting up these pulleys. More and more people are still arriving. Eventually, about 130 people, 130 cave divers show up at Nutty Putty yes. to see if they can do anything to help get John out. And all of these people have these ideas on how you're going to get this man out of here. And unfortunately, not a whole lot of the people have really good ideas. Somebody actually brought with them six gallons of vegetable oil. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. their idea was to, uh, let's just pour that down the hole with John, lube him up, and slide him out. Yes. That idea got nixed. Nobody (laughs) thought that was a good idea. No. So they didn't even try that. Somebody else suggested that uh, they they put some dynamite down there and (laughs) 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 blow John out of the... (laughs) I don't know what the hell they thought they were going to do with the explosives, but somebody thought it would be a good idea to start exploding segments of the cave to maybe <laughs> set John free. That idea also got nixed. So the entire time that they're arguing about the best way to get him out of there, they're still installing these pulleys. And the reason they're still arguing about it is it's taking so long to get these pulleys in that people are trying to come up with faster ways to, to go about this. Nobody ever really comes up with anything that people agree on. So they finally get these this pulley system in place and they tie a rope around John's feet and they start hoisting him backwards. And at this point, John has been upside down for hours mm-hmm. and hours mm-hmm. and hours. His heart's struggling to keep blood in his legs and 
as a result, his legs have become very sensitive. Kind of like when your legs go to sleep and they, they hurt. And they, yes. You know, it's just, it just kind of hurts to touch them. But they start pulling John out. So the, the pulleys are working and they're able to pull John back about 12 feet and his feet hit the top yes. of this little offshoot that he's in. And when they do, he starts screaming in pain. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I can imagine. But this is the only option that they have. They've spent all of these hours putting this pulley system in place. They want to get John out of there. This is the best idea that they have so far. And so they pull John 12 feet up. And if you remember, he was already in a narrow passage before he took this 90 degree straight down angle. Yeah. And so when you're trying to pull him out backwards, they they have this horrible realization. They get his feet all the way up to the top and they look at what they've got going on and they realize that they can't get John Jones out of there without breaking his legs. Right. And they have to have a serious conversation about breaking this man's legs. Yeah. They feel like the only way they're going to drag him out is if his legs go at an incredibly unnatural angle and the only way to make that happen is to break them but now there's a doctor on scene at this time and he's telling them you know if you break this man's legs he's already been down there for so long yeah his body is already struggling with the situation that he's in if we break this man's legs he might go into shock and die absolutely so john has been in this cave since eight o'clock tuesday And at this point where they have dragged him maybe 12 feet back, Mm -hmm. it's 4 p.m. Wednesday. He's been there for 20 hours now. And according to, you know, several of the medical professionals, he should have been dead already, really. Yes. But he's been down there for 20 hours. His body is starting to, or well, it has been not handling the situation Optimally for a while, John Jones is slipping in and out of consciousness. Yes, and he has um, points of delirium. Do you remember some of the things that he said? Yeah, uh, well, he would um, he would go into these bouts where he just started kicking his legs furiously and screaming about, um, why did y'all put me down here? Why did you put me down here? Why did you put me on my head? He was very confused about uh, what had happened. But mostly just screaming. They've got John pulled up to this point where they can't move him any further towards the entrance of the cave without breaking his legs. They're afraid if they break his legs, it'll kill him. And let me just point out, these rescuers, this whole time, they keep telling John, we're going to get you out. Yeah. We're going to get you out. So at this point where John has been down there about 20 hours, during this time, his wife never went on this trip with him. Yes. She's not a cave diver. That's not her thing. She's been informed that that John is stuck. She might not know how serious that situation was, but there comes a point where they're keeping in contact with her, and there's this, this little point of optimism where they think when they when they start sliding John back and he's actually moving. Yes. Somebody informs his wife Emily that they've got John moving now. He might be coming out soon and yeah. she heads down to the site because she wants to see him when he gets out there. Mm-hmm. By the time she gets there though, they're starting to realize that they're not going to get John out of there. And they didn't know that until she got there. And so 
a police officer who was one of the people that was heading this effort. Emily remembers arriving and this man coming up to her and saying, we're going to get John out. And she also remembers that that man started crying when he told her that. Yes. Oh. Um, but they, they lower kind of a walkie-talkie system right. down to John. So he is at least able to speak with his wife for a few minutes during that last two or three hours of his life. Yeah. She was pregnant, too. They had one kid. Mm-hmm. One daughter. They had another one on the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this whole time that they're communicating, you know, Emily is telling John, hang on, be strong. We're almost at the end. And he's telling her, I'm going to get out of here. I can't wait to see you and basically give you and our daughter a hug. But they never moved John any farther back than that 12 feet. They had rescue workers going down there with him to check on him. And uh, at around midnight, the rescue worker who was down there with him reported back that John was no longer breathing. And they pronounced John Jones dead at roughly midnight. So after John died, they still wanted to retrieve his body. Yes. His wife wanted to have someone, something to bury. But because of where John's remains were located and the danger in getting down there to them and getting them out, it was decided that it was too risky to try to get that body out of there. And so to this day, John Jones is still stuck in that 10 by 18 passage in Utah's Nutty Putty Cave System. That is his final resting place. Emily didn't talk about her husband's death in Nutty Putty Cave too much after this happened. In 2016, though, she opened up to a reporter and she said, quote, I can say that I know for sure, without a doubt, I know there is life after death. I know John is still alive. I know because I've been able to talk to him since he died. And I've had several experiences where the veil has been thin, and I've had these sacred moments where I don't understand everything and my faith is not perfect, but I know he's out there. And I know there's life after death. I know that our family will be together again, so that perspective pretty much changes everything. It changes the way you live. I've often thought that John is busy doing important things and growing in important ways and living a great life, so I need to continue living my life. Otherwise, he'd be so disappointed when he met me again if I just stopped living when he died. And she ended up being able to fall in love again and got married in 2012. And her father married her and her new husband. And John's father walked her down the aisle. Because of John Jones' death and Nutty Putty, the cave has been permanently closed and there are no current plans to reopen Nutty Putty. Thank you so much for listening to episode 24 of Where is the Line? We release new episodes on the 1st and the 13th of each month, so if you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. You might also check us out on Facebook and Instagram. We're fairly active on both of those. I've been popping off on Instagram. You've been popping off on Instagram. (laughs) Our first review comes from Cat Valentine. 
Cat Valentine writes, Such a good podcast. Five stars. Everything about it is fire. Holy shit. <laughs> Our next review comes from Pirate Kate 8. Pirate Kate 8 writes, Delightful hosts and macabre topics. Five stars. Came over for a listen after a recommendation from Hollywood Crime Scene. The hosts are great and sound like people I would love to hang out with for drinks. We'd love to hang out with you for drinks. Absolutely. Are you around Alabama? Hit us up. Come and see us. We'll get shit-faced. We'll totally go to bar. The macabre topics are varied and they cover things that I haven't heard in any other podcasts. I thought the creepy podcast well was running dry, but now I feel complete deep in my black little heart. I love it. Thank you so much for that review, Pirate Kate 8. I love that we're filling your hole. (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with me tonight? I don't know. God. Moving on to voicemail. Oh. Hey, this is Kit with a T. Uh, You played my first voicemail on the Mortician Chit Show, and it reminded me that I had some interesting cadaver stories that I wanted to tell you. So my mom growing up was a anatomist, well, when I was growing up, and when I was five, they needed cadavers for her college course, and it was very expensive to get them shipped. My mom took our minivan and put two cadavers in it and drove across the state, and that was a fun story to tell people at school. I also, she let me into the lab to see the cadavers, so I got to see a dead body when I was five, which, you know, didn't fuck me up at all. That's not why I'm listening to this podcast. Another fun one is that once they had a smoker cadaver, or a cadaver of a smoker, I guess, and his veins were so clogged up that the embalming fluid or whatever preserving fluid couldn't get through him properly, and so when the students cut into the brain cavity, uh, the brain was like total mush, and of course the only container they had to put it in was an empty ice cream container, so my mom put it in an ice cream container and then put it in the fridge. Now granted this was like a non-food, like science fridge, but still, that freaks me out. Anyway, definitely donate your body to science when you die, it does good things, love the show still, I'm glad people are listening and you're getting reviews and shit love you guys bye we love you too kid thank you so much for that voice that hey she sounds fucking awesome yeah she does she sounds like my kind of people i love that voicemail a brain in a in an ice cream container <laughs> i fucking love that I do too. And can oh I... man i don't know where kit lives kit if you live anywhere near alabama let us know yeah and i agree donating your body to science is a great thing to do. Let me say this, though. It was kind of my plan B when I was growing up that if I turned out to be the huge failure that I have turned out to be, I was going to sell my body to science. You can't really do that anymore. Sucks. That was my that was my fallback. How much would you get for that? I had it in my mind back in the day that I was going to get at least $10,000. <laughs> that was my plan B for life. I... Can I legally enter a contract with you where I buy your body when you die? Would you let me buy your body when you die? Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I know you're going to do terrible things to it. <laughs> I won't. Yes, you will. I can hardly imagine the 20 things that you're going to stick up my butt. <laughs> what? I, you know you would. 
No, I'll do it. I'll totally do a bunch of weird shit with your body. Stick things in your butt, though. I want you to have me taxidermied for you. To have me forever as your friend. Where do you want me to put you? I want to. I want you to put me in your bathroom on a shelf. On so a I shelf? Can... Am I going to shrink you, too? No, it's going to be... I'm not going to fit you on a shelf. I'm a tiny person. It, you know, well, just... you're not set her on a shelf tiny. Look, I mean... l- listen, when I'm taxidermied, I'll be lighter. So put me on a shelf, because I want to stare straight at you while you're, you know, doing your private things. As we've been listening to that voicemail, some of our patrons who are unfortunate enough to be watching this fucking train wreck unfold have called in. Our first voicemail comes from Natasha. Hey, it's Tash. I'm making wontons. I'm listening to you guys live. You guys absolutely rock. Thanks for making my afternoon go a little bit quicker and catch you next time around. Ciao. Thanks for that voicemail, Natasha. (laughs) Thank you, Natasha, for calling. And we got another one. From a longtime OG patron, Tori. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Samantha. It's Tori. It's been a wonderful live stream. Oh my God. I love Tori. Thank you so much for that voicemail, Tori. No. <laughs> that was really good. Just FYI, I forgot to hit record. We had already listened to these voicemails reacted to them in front of the patrons yes. who are watching us right now and now we are very confusingly acting like we had not already heard these voicemails. But anyway, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail of your own, you can give us a call at 386-227-7848. What does it spell? Dumb ass tit. Again, that number is 386-227-7848. Dumb ass tit. Give us a call. Give us a show idea. Let us know what's going on in your life. Tell us what you think about us. Oh, tell me what turns you on. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) Tell me what turns you on, too. No, tell me. I might tell him. I'm the only one that can check it, so. Oh, wait. You have to tell me first. Can I just point this out? Everyone, listeners, Kevin has made it to where you might have trouble contacting me if you want to. First of all, if you go to our website. What? Let me explain. If you go to our website and you go to the about page where it introduces your co-host, mm-hmm. my link to my Where's the Line email, mm-hmm. I told you this months ago, it does not work. So no one can reach me if they click on that. And they're probably not just going to type it in to try to reach me. You've made Oh, uh, well, I've just been collecting the dick pics you've been getting. No, right. No, I just want you to know, Kevin receives all the emails. He's made it to where I cannot talk to y'all. I gave you the login stuff for that email. No, not... You used to be able to log into that. No, no, no. You didn't give me the login information to the where is the line email. You just set me up with my own. Oh, that one. No, and you told me directly that you didn't want me having that info. Oh, well, let me tell you something, (laughs) people. Okay. I've never been to Samantha's house. (laughs) What the fuck? Hey. I have never been to my best friend's house. Okay, recently. When we remember... How long have you lived where you live right now? Eight years, almost. Seven years. I haven't been to your house in eight years. Because I like to come over to your house. It's an escape from my prison. Look, you know I've got problems. (laughs) Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Where's the Line. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Tell your friends about us. And hey, thanks to the patrons that endured this tonight. You guys, we do apologize for this. We you're right or die. Apologize. Yeah, I, I said I was sorry 
two hours before we even did this. I preemptively apologized. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Kids, when you go to bed, stay away from your closets and don't look under your bed.